peculiar time of the year when it's to know where you are and why you have been kidnapped. Well, the bridge of size. One of the guys who works here went psycho again. Welcome to October by May. The short stories of Edward T. May. Presented by James Allen May. When I go back to my hometown of Aurora, Colorado, in between visits with friends and family, I try to carve out some time to visit my old stomping grounds. I'll drive by my old childhood home, maybe park somewhere in the neighborhood, then take a run on the bike path along West Tollgate Creek, turning at the Highline Canal, running past old Delaney Farm, and looping around near Center Hills Golf Course. Then take the dirt trail on the other side of the creek back to where I started. It's a pleasant little nostalgia trip. Mike Raleigh has been taking a similar trip into the past. Ever since he moved back into his childhood home, he has been experiencing repeated situations and events that correspond to a specific summer from his adolescence. A summer that didn't exactly have a happy ending. Who says you can never go back? Day one. Mike neatly packed the last of his parents' clothing in a cardboard box, folded the flaps and sealed them with tape. Cradling the box in his arms, he trudged into the garage. He placed the box in the back seat of his car and shut the door. With a sigh, he wiped the sweat from his face using the lower half of his t-shirt and sat down on the bumper. The late afternoon sun peeked in shyly through the west window of the garage as if to say, Sorry about the heat today, my good man, but after all, it is my job, and I must warn you, it will be more of the same tomorrow, old chum. With the sudden loss of both parents in a traffic accident, Mike decided to move out of his apartment and into his boyhood home. Attendant with the move was the complex process of converting the decor of the house into a reflection of his personality. The guilt associated with this action seemed unending. Each time he decided to contribute an item to charity or throw something away, he looked upon himself as a traitor to his parents. Knowing his parents would never approve of him, turning the house into a shrine dedicated to their memory did little to aid his efforts. Eventually, he managed to steel his emotions, albeit temporarily, against the assault of nostalgia long enough to achieve partial success. Emptying his parents' closets had been the most daunting task, and that task was now complete. Mike surveyed the interior of the garage, eyeing the bric-a-brac accumulated over the years surrounding him. Dogging each item like a second shadow was an associated memory. Tucked in the far corner, like a sleeping sentinel, stood the croquet set the family had used so often on summer evenings. Lining the shelves was row upon row of mason jars filled with home-canned crabapple and choke-cherry jellies, pickles, peaches, and pears. Near the door, waiting like a loyal dog, sat the lawnmower, ready at a moment's notice to release the heady aroma of cut grass. Up against the wall, next to the lawnmower and buried under the faux Christmas tree, rested Mike's old ten-speed bicycle. I haven't ridden that since... Mike cut off the thought with an abruptness that surprised even him. Just another unpleasant memory, he sighed. Well, that's one possession I won't feel guilty about getting rid of. Mike walked over, extracted the bicycle from its confinement, and inspected it. 
The tires were, of course, flat. On impulse, Mike grabbed the hand pump from its customary place on the shelf next to the tool chest and quickly inflated the tires. As he waited to see if the tires would hold the air, he selected a wrench and adjusted the seat. Swinging one leg over the bike, he tested the height of the seat. On second thought, maybe I won't get rid of it. Maybe this is just what I need, he mused aloud. Yeah, some serious exercise. Take this thing and ride it. Ride it until I'm too exhausted to remember any unpleasant memories. With this thought in mind, Mike warmed to the task. He ran a rag over the frame and seat, removing the dust of seven years. He then proceeded to lubricate the chain and gears. He stood back to admire his efforts. I guess that's about all I can do for now. Mike returned the wrench to the tool chest, closed the garage door, and climbed the stairs to the kitchen. By necessity rather than design, he prepared a Spartan meal consisting of a bowl of canned soup and a tuna salad sandwich. I've got to get to the store one of these days, he remarked. Afterwards, out of habit, he embarked upon the same routine he followed while still living with his parents. He watched television for a few hours, listening half-heartedly while the weather forecaster talked interminably about the recent heat wave and the very real possibility it might break the previous record. He showered, then read a book for another hour, and finally retired for the evening. As Mike lay in bed, too uncomfortably hot to sleep, he listened to the night sounds. The leaves of the apple tree applauded the evening breeze. Crickets provided their unique contribution, along with the neighbor's sprinkler. These identical noises had lulled Mike to sleep in the summers of his childhood. The sprinkler, in particular, had a hypnotic effect on him. He loved the leisurely as the stream of water, moving obediently in its designated arc, was interrupted at regular intervals by the metal flapper. He would then anticipate the equally predictable, fast-paced staccato of the sprinkler head as it retraced its path to the starting point. Then the cycle would begin again, rhythmic, restful, reassuring. This is the way it is in this neighborhood, Mike thought as he drifted off to sleep. Not many people have modernized. They just don't go in for things like automatic sprinklers, air conditioners. That's okay by me. Day two. The day dawned bright and hot. Mike was surprised to find the pressure in the bicycle tires apparently undiminished from the previous day. I can't believe it, but... It looks like we're all set to go off for a ride, he announced. After breakfast, Mike took the last of his parents' clothing to a nearby charitable organization. By the time he returned home, it was mid-morning. As expected, the sun was making its presence felt in no uncertain terms. Mike grabbed the sunscreen and began to slather the potion over his exposed skin. He could imagine what his mother would have said had she seen the performance. Michael, do you really need that much? It's expensive, you know. Her suggestive tone had always been sufficient to the purpose. She'd never found it necessary to come right out and scold Mike. He snatched a sweat-stained baseball cap from the coat rack, donned a pair of sunglasses, and headed for the garage. 
He walked the bicycle outside, closed the door behind him, and began pedaling towards his destination, Willows and Wetlands State Park, located about one mile from his house. Willows and Wetlands State Park, known affectionately among Mike and his friends simply as 2W, was a milieu he'd frequented in his youth. Due to its status as a state park, the area had managed to withstand the sundry assaults of the developers over the course of the years and had remained essentially unchanged since Mike's childhood. A stream cut through the center of the park, eventually feeding a reservoir on the north end used extensively for boating and fishing. The bike path was popular as well and hosted a variety of walkers, joggers, and bikers. In the summertime, however, the traffic along the path was minimal in the heat of the day, heavy use being limited to the relatively cool mornings and evenings. A mere five minutes of ride time was enough to position Mike at the park entrance. Although not yet midday, Mike found the pavement saturated with thermal energy, the path already beginning to re-emit the heat. He could see the waves pulsating upwards, engulfing him like a weapon from a science fiction movie. Being unused to the exercise, he employed a leisurely pace, enjoying the familiar scenery along the trail as it undulated through 2W like an asphalt python. Pace notwithstanding, drops of sweat soon began rolling down Mike's forehead. Various flying insects swooped across his line of vision or clustered together in small clouds along the path. Beetles labored across the black ribbon of asphalt, blissfully ignorant of the dangers involved. The thrum of cicadas waded through the stagnant air. Magpies, red-winged blackbirds, meadowlarks, hawks, and a host of other birds darted from tree to tree in flashes of color or rode the thermals in search of a meal. Mike rolled to a stop and wiped the perspiration from his brow using his forearm. Straddling the bike, he surveyed the landscape off to his right, away from the stream. He recognized some of the vegetation. Yuccas, mullein, and milkweeds grew amidst a sea of waist-high weeds and thistles. On his left, the course of the stream roughly paralleled the bike path. Choke cherries and immature willows lined the embankment as it sloped from the trail down to the water. Mike couldn't see the stream itself, but could determine its course easily enough by observing the abundance of cattails and bulrushes hugging its banks. On the opposite side of the stream, the vegetation thickened considerably and consisted of mature willows and towering cottonwoods. Just like it did when... Mike said aloud. He shook his head, smiling sardonically. The whole point of coming out here was to get my mind off things I don't want to remember. And what happens? More memories start popping into my head than when I started. He swatted at a deer fly. I suppose there's a lesson to be learned in all that, somewhere. Then, with a shrug of resignation, he completed his initial thought. It looks just like it did when Bobby and I would come out here and ride our bikes. This single thought, once completed, proved to be the hole in the dike through which an ocean of memories began pouring. As individual drops joined to create a deluge, vignettes from Mike's boyhood clustered together, forming a stream of conscious thought. Friends since first grade inseparable summer excitement, big plan, sleepover, swimming, movies, baseball, trips to 2W, August heat, final week vacation, first year high school, Bobby sleeps over, next day traffic accident, death, no more bicycling until... Until today, Mike announced. Until today. Mike's reverie was broken by the noise of machinery. He glanced down at the path and saw a small riding mower creeping toward him. The man operating the mower removed a bandana from around his neck and swabbed his forehead. 
Dark stains engulfed his armpits, and a cigarette dangled precariously from the corner of his mouth. How about that? Mike commented. They still mow the sides of the trail just like they did when I was a kid. Mike, after nodding politely to the driver as he passed, inhaled deeply. He found the odor of cut weeds every bit as enticing as that of cut grass. He eyed the three-foot swath of groomed greenery separating the path from the untamed wilderness beyond. When he was a boy, it seemed innocent enough, reminding him of the warning track of a baseball field. Now, as an adult, it seemed to take on more sinister connotations, even in the daylight. The meandering stripe of cut weeds had been transformed by the passing of the years into a no-man's land, a zone of no trespass, cleared for the sole purpose of increasing the observer's field of vision and thus preventing a stealthy advance from unknown entities lurking in the undergrowth. Mike was reminded of military units in Vietnam and their well-established procedure of clearing the vegetation from around the perimeter of their bases in order to deny cover and concealment to the enemy. Memories always seem to be, I don't know, ruined somehow when we grow up, Mike lamented. Mike noted the low-lying weeds, by hugging the ground, had managed to escape the destructive force of the mower's blade. He reached down and plucked a group of stickers. Every boy knew August was the time of year for harvesting stickers. Thoughts of Bobby returned. Memories of two boys, more than boys, really, but not quite men either, having a sticker war. Flinging the projectiles at each other, dodging, throwing, dodging yet again, laughing or howling depending upon whether the projectiles missed or landed on their intended target. Mike smiled at the memory. He could vividly recall the sensation of the needle-like burrs sinking into his flesh. He tossed the sticker in the direction of the stream and resumed his trek. Day 3 Mike awakened the following day to the radio alarm. We broke into the 90s again yesterday and the weather forecast for today is, you guessed it, more of the same. We're hot on the heels of breaking the record for most consecutive days at 90 or above. That record was set back in- Mike slapped testily at the off switch. I don't need you to tell me it's hot, he said irritably. Mike groaned as he got out of bed. The unaccustomed exercise of the previous day had bequeathed a legacy of sore thighs and buttocks. After washing and dressing, he stumbled into the kitchen and opened the refrigerator. After inspecting the meager contents, he decided it was high time to pay a visit to the local market. I guess I can't put it off any longer, he complained. Mike's stomach rumbled, reproaching him for his lack of planning, as he drove to the neighborhood market. Once there, he began filling a shopping cart with the necessities for cooking and cleaning. He ambled up one aisle and down the next, stopping every so often to add an item to the cart, as often happens in markets, Mike and another customer, a woman approximately his age, managed to pass each other in opposite directions on every aisle. Eventually, Mike noticed the woman appeared to be watching him when she thought he wasn't looking. Wishful thinking, he thought self-deprecatingly. Why would a nice-looking woman like that be looking at you? Mike remembered he needed bread and headed back in the direction of the bakery, leaving the woman behind. As he waited in the checkout line, he felt a hand on his shoulder. Turning, he saw the mystery woman once again. Now, however, he felt a spark of recognition. 
I know her from someplace, he thought. Mike? She asked tentatively. Mike Raleigh? Right, Mike responded sheepishly, humbled by his inability to identify the woman. Valerie, she said, gesturing at herself. Valerie Gilbert! Valerie! Mike nearly shouted. It's great to see you! It's good to see you! Valerie returned, smiling and nodding. Listen, I apologize for not recognizing you, Mike began. Forget it, she answered, waving off the apology with one hand. After all, it's been seven years. It took me quite a while before I figured out who you were. You probably thought I was some nut the way I was following you around the store. Are you kidding? It's every guy's dream to have a beautiful woman following him around. Valerie blushed at the compliment and spoke quickly in order to conceal her embarrassment. So, so what brings you back to this neighborhood? Are you visiting your folks? Mike's smile vanished. Well, my parents, they both died about a month ago. Traffic accident. And I decided to move back into the old house. He explained haltingly. Valerie shook her head. I'm so sorry, she said in hushed tones. I didn't... Mike shook his head. It's okay, he said, adding hurriedly. How about you? What brings you here? Valerie shrugged. I got tired of work, took a couple of weeks off, thought I'd see my mother, she confided. Mike nodded and pushed his cart forward. The clerk began checking his items. Mike was uncomfortable speaking with Valerie in front of the clerk and remained silent for a few moments while he removed some cash from his wallet. I'd really like to talk with you some more, you know, talk about old times, Mike finally said. But it doesn't look like we've got much time left here. He motioned at his nearly empty cart. How about tomorrow? Can we get together then? I'm kind of busy for most of the day. Is tomorrow evening okay? Valerie asked hopefully. That's perfect, Mike responded. Is it okay if I pick the place? Valerie asked. No problem, Mike assured her. Great. I'll come over to your place about six, Valerie suggested. That's fine. See you then. Mike paid for his groceries and left, waving to Valerie as he walked out the door and into the heat. After returning home and putting the groceries away, Mike descended into the basement and paused at the bottom of the staircase. I think it's in that box with the rest of my high school memorabilia, he muttered. He disappeared underneath the stairs and returned moments later dragging a heavy wooden box behind him. He sat down next to the box and began sorting through the contents. Ah, here we go, he said triumphantly as he pulled his high school yearbook out of the box. He leafed through the book until he found Valerie's picture. She was a beautiful girl, Mike said admiringly. Eh, still is, for that matter. Mike had felt a definite attraction for Valerie all those years ago, and he was fairly certain at the time she was attracted to him as well. Why did I have to play it so cool? Why couldn't I have just said, Hey, Valerie, I really like you. Who knows what might have come of it. He read what she'd written seven years ago. To a super guy. Stay in touch over the summer, please. He'd tried to do just that, stay in touch, but their schedules seemed diametrically opposed. 
She would be on a family vacation when he called. He would be at a baseball tournament when she called. She at a girlfriend's house for a sleepover, he visiting relatives, and so it went. He hadn't fretted over the situation at the time. He reasoned he would be with her throughout high school, so one summer wasn't going to make or break the relationship. Then came the fateful day towards the end of summer when she confided to him that her parents were divorcing and she would be moving out of state with her father. Mike closed the book. On second thought, I guess it wouldn't have made any difference if I had told her I liked her. She was leaving anyway, so it wouldn't have mattered. He sighed in resignation, laid the yearbook on the floor, and went into the garage. Thinking that some physical labor would take his mind off the past, he maneuvered the lawnmower past his car and out the door. After cutting the grass, Mike painted the shady side of the house as he listened to some vintage tunes on the radio. He decided he would postpone his daily bike ride until the evening. It was not the heat that prompted his decision, although the day had turned out to be another scorcher. It was a desire to experience all the nuances of light, sound, and smell the park had to offer. Evenings at the park promised things the daylight hours couldn't provide and vice versa. Upon entering the park that evening, Mike veered north and proceeded onto one of his favorite sections of the trail. Both sides of the path were lined with cattails and bulrushes. Often a bulrush, weighted down by the seeds at the tip, would lean towards the path as if extending a warm greeting to the passerby. Mike smiled at the image. He could hear cicadas lodged in the cottonwoods, grinding out their monotonous chorus. Closer at hand, crickets enriched the evening air with their own special melody. I guess some things never change, Mike thought. At least not in seven years. Bobby and I would listen to those noises for, well, it seemed like hours to us, but kids' time is never the same as adult time. Mike stopped and plucked some ripe choke cherries the birds had somehow missed. He relished the bitter taste, for it resurrected pleasant memories. He coasted slowly down the path, greeting fellow travelers as they passed. Shadows, liberated from the harsh glare of midday, began stretching and growing in the twilight. As Mike picked up speed, the alternating bars of light and shadow created a hypnotic effect, almost like a strobe. I remember one time, Mike began, as if describing the event to an acquaintance. Bobby and I came over here to catch some frogs and snakes. We forgot to bring anything to eat, so we snacked on choke cherries all afternoon. We didn't find a single frog or snake until we decided to call it quits for the day. Were we ever surprised when we started down the trail on our bikes and a big snake crossed right in front... Mike paused in astonishment, unable to complete his thought. Stretched across the path in front of him was a three-foot-long bull snake, soaking up the waning heat as it emanated from the pathway. Mike braked to a stop a few inches short of the snake and watched in disbelief as it slithered into the mass of grasses and sedges at the side of the trail. It was then that Mike began to take stock of the accumulating synchronicities. Day 4 The next day, Mike continued to set the house in order. The chores seemed endless. As the day progressed, it became increasingly difficult for him to concentrate on the task at hand. A persistent unease, initiated by the incident with the snake on the previous evening, took hold of him and steadfastly refused to be banished. He was concerned that certain events from his past, specifically seven years in the past, 
seemed to be repeating themselves. Some of the events, the ones he directly controlled, such as living in the same house and taking bicycle rides in 2W, he refused to consider abnormal. However, a few other incidents, while not defying the laws of probability, were certainly noteworthy. Even more startling than the snake on the path was the parallel in the weather pattern. Although it was not something a 13-year-old would take particular note of, Mike was certain he remembered talk of a record-breaking heat wave seven years ago. And of course, there was his coincidental meeting with Valerie in the supermarket to consider. By the late afternoon, Mike had finished all the chores he'd set out to complete. Exhausted, mentally as well as physically, he decided a nap would be in order. Knowing that sleeping in the heat of the day would be well-nigh impossible, he sought out the cool of the basement. Mike always felt comfortably secure in the basement. It was cool in the summer, warm in the winter, a place of refuge during tornado season, and a place where he and his friends would bed down during sleepovers. It was in the basement that Bobby had spent his last night. Mike set his alarm clock, just in case, stretched out on the couch, and was soon snoring. Mike awoke shortly before the alarm went off, and readied himself for his evening with Valerie. He decided to phone her and ask where she planned on going so he would know what to wear. Her only response had been, dress casually. She arrived in front of his house promptly at six o'clock. Mike trotted down the steps of his porch and climbed into her car. So, why the big secret? Mike teased. Why couldn't you tell me where we were going tonight? I had to check it out first, Valerie explained. It's just around this next corner. I drove past it on the way over here. I wanted to make sure it was still open. A lot can change in seven years. And a lot can stay the same, Mike thought, as he saw where Valerie was headed. Well, here we are, she announced with a flourish as she parked in front of a weathered sign identifying the establishment as Benny's Burgers and Shakes. Oh, this is where... Yep, Valerie confirmed. This is where we met for dinner seven years ago. This is where we last saw each other. Shall we? Despite his apprehension, Mike nodded and managed to force a smile as they went inside. The evening crush was in full swing, leaving one booth available. They seated themselves and a waitress quickly offered them menus. Look, it's still the same menu, Valerie noted. Instinctively knowing what he would find, Mike moved the napkin holder aside and glanced at the wood beneath. Yeah, and this is the same booth we sat in the last time we were here, Mike commented. Are you sure? Valerie asked skeptically. Mike showed her the initials each of them had etched in the table on their previous visit. This is really a trip down memory lane, isn't it? She remarked innocently. Mike was only able to offer a curt nod in response. I'm really glad we ran into each other at the store, Valerie said. It's so good to see you again. You don't know how much it bothered me when we went our separate ways. I mean, we hadn't seen each other all summer and then, boom, I had to leave. Mike nodded knowingly and laid the menu on the tabletop. Do you like bicycling by any chance? He asked on a whim. Well, nothing serious, but I go out a couple times a week, you know, just to stay in shape, Valerie admitted. How would you like to take a ride out to 2W tomorrow? 
I like that a lot, but unfortunately, this is the last day of my vacation. I'm leaving tomorrow, she said reluctantly. Mike didn't bother to hide his shock. It wasn't so much the fact he wouldn't be seeing Valerie again, although he definitely wanted to. It was the knowledge that yet another incident was being repeated seven years later. Feeling he owed her an explanation for his odd behavior, he proceeded to explain the strange happenings he'd been experiencing since moving back into his parents' house. Valerie listened intently and was predictably sympathetic. I admit it sounds kind of odd, but stuff like that happens all the time, she reassured him. It's just some, I don't know, freak occurrence. I suppose you're right, Mike agreed, knowing she wouldn't understand and hoping the subject would be dismissed. In fact, I'd be willing to bet nothing like it will happen again, ever. You've used up your quota of weird stuff for the rest of your life, Valerie jested. Their food arrived and the remainder of the evening's conversation was devoted to other subjects. Their parting was anticlimactic and bore strong resemblance to the same event enacted seven years earlier, filled as it was with awkwardness and mutual assurances that they would stay in touch. After returning from dinner, Mike went immediately to the basement, opened the yearbook and began searching for a particular item. He thumbed through the pages until he found it sandwiched between the last page and the back cover. He held the yellowing napkin in the palm of his hand. On one side was stenciled in bold green ink, Benny's Burgers and Shakes. Mike turned the napkin over and read the sentiment written in Valerie's beautiful flowing cursive. Parted by fate, joined at the heart. Valerie had signed and dated it as well. Bizarre, he commented after reading the date. Seven years ago, Valerie and I ate at Benny's and she told me she would be leaving the following day. Seven years later, to the day, we ate in the same place, at the same booth no less, and she tells me she's leaving the following day. As Mike returned the napkin to the yearbook, he noticed another piece of paper nestled in the fold of the napkin. It proved to be a newspaper clipping. A 13-year-old boy, identified as Bobby Hudson, was killed when a car, backing out of a driveway ran over him as he rode past on his bicycle. It has not been determined if the driver of the car will be charged with an offense. Mike checked the date at the top of the clipping. Tomorrow, he said. Tomorrow is the seven-year anniversary of Bobby's death. Mike turned the clipping over. The news item on that side, only partially intact, immediately caught his attention. The string of consecutive days with temperatures above 90 degrees broke a record yesterday as the mercury peaked at 95. A low pressure front moving into the region is expected to bring relief for... The rest of the item was missing. However, on the next column was a graph obviously associated with the story. It showed the peak temperatures for each day of the record-setting period. Mike's brow furrowed in concentration. I've seen something like this... recently, he mumbled. There was... His expression cleared as he sprinted up the stairs. He returned moments later with the morning newspaper. He shuffled through the pages until he found the same information presented in a slightly different format. He noted the temperature for the first day of the previous heat wave and the temperature for the first day of the present heat wave. They matched exactly. He then began a day-by-day -day comparison for the next 20 days and found an exact match in each case. 
What are the chances of that? He wondered. History is repeating itself, only... Not exactly. Some things are still different. Completely baffled by the circumstances, Mike could only shake his head. I just don't get it. I wonder if I could somehow be responsible. Am I creating these coincidences because I'm doing certain things? Or would these things be happening whether I was a part of them or not? Maybe it's a combination of both possibilities. Maybe there are a lot of factors involved and I'm just part of it, but a necessary part. He sat silently for a moment. I'll try an experiment, he said with conviction. What did I do after Valerie and I left Benny's that night? Think. What did I do? Scowling in thought, Mike paced the narrow confines of the laundry room. I must have come home. Of course I came home. Bobby was spending the night, so I needed to get back here before he did. Okay, then. What did I do once I got here? It would have been getting dark, just like it is now, but still some light left. Mike snapped his fingers. That's it! We went to 2W. Bobby and I went to 2W on our bikes. Yeah! I remember Mom and Dad weren't too thrilled with the idea, but we promised we'd make it a short trip and be back home before it turned completely dark. Without hesitation, Mike went to the garage and mounted his bicycle. The very notion he could, in some way, influence events seemed outlandish, but was nevertheless exhilarating. This is crazy, he kept repeating to himself as he sped towards the park. This is a waste of time. He reached the park in record time, not really knowing what to expect or where to go, only knowing that he'd been in the park seven years ago on the same day. He proceeded down the portion of the trail that paralleled the stream and raced along at breakneck speed. The light continued to fade as the scenery flashed by in a whirl. He encountered other bikers as well as pedestrians taking advantage of the cool of the evening, but their ranks steadily dwindled with the diminishing light until he found himself alone on the trail. About two miles into the park, he noticed pedaling was becoming more difficult. Mike slowed to a stop and found the problem consisted of a flat tire. Frustrated by the situation, he kicked the bicycle and began cursing, then stopped abruptly. It happened then, too, he said in awed tones. I got a flat that night. He shook his head. What's going on here? This little piece of history didn't have to be repeated. I could have stayed home and it never would have happened. I came out here of my own free will. The darkness closed in. I wanted an experiment to prove something, and I don't even know what it is I proved. Still marveling at the bizarre events taking place and his role in them, Mike turned his bicycle around and began walking home. The trail at that point was built along a steep embankment. Mike peered into the dimly lit world below. In the daytime, he would have seen a stream bed, choked with cattails and bulrushes, the opposite bank thickly forested with cottonwoods and willows. Now dark blotches oozed over and around darker blotches until nothing was recognizable. As Mike strolled along the path, the overhanging bulrushes, so cordial during the daylight hours, seemed to pluck maliciously at the traveler in an attempt to draw him into the dark recesses of the park. Mike remembered how scary it had been when he was just thirteen, no street lights to keep the night things at bay, just a hungering darkness. 
A rustling noise, barely audible above the racket created by the cicadas, caught Mike's attention. He stopped and turned his head. The direction of the noise was indeterminate, but Mike was sure there was something more than wind moving through the vegetation. He took a few more steps and stopped. He stood motionless for one, two, three minutes, listening. Eventually, the din of the cicadas died away in stages, leaving 2W enveloped in silence. Should have brought a flashlight, Mike reprimanded himself. The rustling noise commenced again. Mike could tell something was in the weeds down by the stream. A raccoon, maybe? Mike thought. They're nocturnal. Probably one down by the stream, looking for frogs or something. Mike gripped the handlebars. The noise continued, subtly altered. It's getting louder. The source of the noise was coming closer, struggling up the embankment. Mike was becoming uneasy. I hope it's not a skunk. Mike held his breath as the curtain of cattails adjacent to the path parted, and a darkened form appeared, spreading across the underbrush like an ink blot. Mike couldn't determine the dimensions of the creature in the darkness. It was impossible to separate the entity from the surrounding swirl of shadow, yet Mike instinctively knew it was not a skunk or a raccoon, and with this knowledge his anxiety grew. The creature paused. Just stay still and don't make any noise. Maybe it can't see very well in the dark, Mike thought. The creature emerged slowly from the cattails and took a tentative step away from Mike before stopping its progress. It must sense me somehow, probably smells me, Mike reasoned. Neither Mike nor the shape moved for perhaps ten seconds. Then the figure turned and shuffled a few feet in Mike's direction. Mike was genuinely terrified. A soft summer breeze sprang up from the south and gently stroked his face, apologetically, before presenting him with a putrid odor. What the- Mike gagged, threw a leg over the seat of his bicycle and stomped on the pedal, feeling a sharp pain in his side as he did so. Muscle pull, flashed through his mind as he began pedaling. The flat tire didn't make the ride home fast or comfortable, but Mike reasoned it was better than walking. During the trip, he repeatedly glanced over his shoulder, checking to see if anything was following. He was relieved to discover the creature was apparently not quick on its feet. On reaching home, he was exhausted, but still edgy from adrenaline. He gulped a glass of water. Shaken by the experience in the park, he opened a bottle of bourbon and poured himself a few ounces. That didn't fit at all, he said aloud. When I got a flat tire seven years ago, Bobby and I, we just walked home. We were scared, just like I was tonight, but we didn't see anything. We were just scared of the dark. What was that thing, anyway? I've never smelled anything like that. He shrugged. I guess it's like I thought. History's not repeating itself exactly, just certain events. Thinking a hot shower would help relax him, Mike quickly downed the rest of the liquor and walked toward the bathroom, shedding his clothing as he went and tossing the articles on the floor near the entrance to the bathroom. He tried his best to let the stream of hot water calm him, but all of Mike's thoughts ultimately led back to the coincidences he'd experienced, and the thing in the park. How many... what do I want to call them? How many relationships or matched pairs can I list between what happened seven years ago and what's happening now? 
he wondered. I'm living in the same house, sleeping in the same bed in the same room, riding the same bicycle over the same route. At the park, hardly anything has changed. The plants, the insects, they're all the same. When I ride through 2W, I hear the same sounds, smell the same smells, see the same sights. We had a heat wave then, and we're having one now with identical temperatures on corresponding days. Valerie and I ate at the same restaurant on the same day, and the following day she leaves the state. What else? The snake crossing the path, the flat tire. A scenario explaining the situation began forming. It couldn't all be coincidental, he said aloud. Something else is going on here, something elemental. It almost seems like a lesson from a physics class, like gravity or something. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's a force in nature and... I don't know. The whole process needs a few coincidences to... to... to act like some kind of trigger. Then... Mike's excitement grew as his mind grappled with the riddle. Yeah, then, sure. It's just like a nuclear reaction. Like a... like a fusion reaction. The whole thing doesn't take place until it reaches... what do they call it? Until it reaches critical mass. Mike placed his head in his hands as if to ease a monstrous headache. Okay, okay, let me think this through. I started the whole thing in motion by moving back into the house. Then, completely by chance, a few coincidences began to pile up. At some point, just like a fusion reaction reaching critical mass, one coincidence was added and the whole situation suddenly took on a life of its own. It started feeding off of itself. It started creating coincidences. It's a force of nature, just like gravity. It's gotta be. In a way... It's kind of like a magnetic field. Yeah. When a magnet is too far away from a piece of metal, it doesn't have enough force to attract it. But, but, as the distance between the metal and the magnet decreases, a point is reached where the metal gets sucked into the magnetic field. That's what happened here. It must be. This whole thing, it's acting just like a magnetic field. Only, when does the metal hit the magnet? I mean... When is this going to stop? When are things going to stop repeating themselves? Mike turned off the water. I've got to try and figure out what's going to happen next. Maybe if I can stop one event from happening, the whole process will break down. He asserted with confidence. He slid back the shower door and snatched a towel from the rack. I wonder if... I probably could have done it tonight! If I hadn't gone to 2W tonight, then I wouldn't have got that flat tire like I did seven years ago. Why did I have to go? That might have broken the cycle, he moaned. He hurriedly dried himself and placed the towel back on the rack. That's okay. I can still do this. I can still break the cycle. All I have to do is to remember something I did seven years ago and not do it this time around. Make a conscious effort not to do it. Mike stepped through the doorway and tread on the shirt he'd carelessly tossed on the floor. A sharp pain lanced his foot. It was the same type of pain he felt earlier in the evening as he fled from the thing in the park. At the time, he assumed, wrongly, the discomfort was due to a pulled muscle. Rubbing his foot, he looked down to determine the cause of the pain. And saw. Physics lesson over. Equation complete. He knew which event was next in line to be repeated and knew it was beyond his power to prevent its occurrence. Tomorrow, he mumbled. Anniversary.
Bobby's death. Sleepover. Night before. Sleepover. Sleep. Over. Mike looked down again at the stickers clinging to his shirt. Then came the knock at the door. Once again, I'm James Allen May, and I want to thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of October by May. October by May is a bi-weekly podcast with new episodes every other Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a single sojourn into October. Please leave us a rating and review, as well as any comments or replies that you may have for us. Also visit us at OctoberByMay.com for more info, as well as links to the books by Edward T. May. Who Says You Can Never Go Back? by Edward T. May. Recitation and audio design by James Allen May. Theme by Hassan Nazari Rabadi.